Whenever I travel, whether for pleasure or work, I'm always hoping to conduct at least one interview. So while planning my recent trip to Japan, I was offered several photographers to consider. Eiji Ohashi's work immediately stood out to me. His series on vending machines in Japan might seem an odd subject matter to spend a decade on, until you see his images. These machines that play an integral part in Japanese culture became unique characters unto themselves as they stood isolated in urban and natural scenes. As you'll hear, Eiji replies to my questions in his native language, which is followed by a translation by my host in Japan, George Nabechi. I've always wanted to interview non-English speakers for the show, and I hope that the reaction to this episode holds the promise of many more to come in the future. A special thanks goes to Yellow Cafe in Tokyo for providing us a space to conduct the interview. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. So how was your trip down from uh, Hokkaido? Yes, I came from Hokkaido, and uh, this is a bit cold. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, my, uh, every day, my, uh, falling snow. Mm. <laughs> Do you come down to Tokyo very much? Yes, um, I feel a good. Uh, I had a, I had a good expression uh, a lot of. <laughs> okay. So, how long have you been working on the book? And, and this book, uh, 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 the photo book is a commission work of uh, Coca Cola in uh, with uh, with Coca Cola uh, Japan. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. Oh, well, that makes commission sense. work. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Yeah, it's in the branding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's not sold. Hanbei dekina de sell sell. It's not for sale. Oh, yeah. okay. How many are being made? Uh, maybe five hundred piece. Wow! Yeah, it's very expensive. <laughs> oh, I, I bet. But very beautiful. Yeah, thank you. And give me the full pronunciation of your name. Uh, my name is Eiji Ohashi. Eiji. Eiji Ohashi. 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 Please call me Eiji. Eiji. So Eiji Ohashi. Yes. Well, Eiji, welcome to the Candid Frame. I'm very excited to have you. Thank you. <laughs> um, when George showed me your mm. work, I mm. was very excited. Mm. And having the chance to be in Japan mm. and see the subject matter ah. firsthand yeah. has been fascinating in context with your your book. Yeah, and we, and your work. Uh, thank you. Uh, so tell me about how you first considered. These vending machines in in Japan as photographic subjects. I began this series eleven years ago. I was in Hokkaido, in the north of Japan, driving at night in a snowstorm. I couldn't place myself in the road. I couldn't see anything except I saw the light of a vending machine in the distance, and I was able to distinguish where I was based off of that light. And that inspired me to begin the project. What was it about that that moment that made you think this could be a subject for for photographs? So I was living in the city of Wakanai, which is the northernmost city in Hokkaido, 
um, which is the northernmost island in Japan. So snowstorms were, um, uh, you know, a regular occurrence. And I always enjoyed the scenery laid out uh, before me during snowstorms. But amid that scenario, it was, there was something very intriguing about seeing a light uh, emitting, um, it, you know, light, a, a machine emitting its light through the blizzard. And I thought, wow, there's something to this. Considering how common these, mm, these vending machines are all over the, the country, they can, as a result, become invisible to people because they're everywhere. It's such a ubiquitous thing. And when he had that revelation, how did the experience of him, in terms of him recognizing their presence, change? So you are right in that there are vending machines all over this country. That is certainly the case. But what I realized in that time was also that they are all over the place in this country, but not necessarily in others. So that there was something distinctly Japanese about the sight of vending machines littered throughout the landscape. Uh, you don't see that in other in other countries. So that was one. It also made me realize um, something about the safety, uh, the comfort of living in Japan, of these vending machines um, in the landscape that <coughs> tell a story about how safe it is here. No one is raiding those things, and they sit there uh, in their tranquil state, which then also led me to start to see these as beings almost, rather than inanimate objects, that these were... Uh, there was a warmth to them, um, a character to them, sitting out there in the landscape, and that was what really drew me to photographing them. They really have a sense of that, of, of a character, of a, of a person in their, in their presence. And I think that's one of the things that's very striking about so many of the, of the photographs. But for people who haven't been to Japan, maybe it would be a good opportunity to describe their role in in the the day-to-day -day society so there are several aspects one um i think that the vending machines uh ubiquitousness um their their presence all over the countryside indicates one the safety of japan in that they can be left out um, where there's no one to look, look after them or, or, or watch them. But I think that the second aspect is that it, it's actually evidence of poor uh, design planning in, when it comes to um, urban layouts in Japan, i.e., Japanese people prioritize convenience over um, the, the visual layout of a place. So even though um, it might disrupt a beautiful landscape by having a vending machine there, they opt for the convenience rather than that, that uh, carefully planned um, design. So I think in some ways that, that's a little bit of a, uh, a negative aspect of, of the way they are found everywhere um, in this country. However, um, I took inspiration from seeing these vending machines i.e., let's say, almost working hard out alone in these desolate landscapes um, and took inspiration from that and thought that there's a message that could be delivered to, to people as well, to whatever your circumstances, to maintain your stoicism and keep working hard. Considering how many vending machines there are everywhere, how do you come to decide which to photograph? 
So what's important for me is that they are lonely vending machines, um, that they are not in a bank of many vending machines, but that they are alone, just one. Um, as for doing my research in terms of locations, I often use Google Street View um, to actually do some research. Um, and the other thing that I do is I have a network of friends who are always reporting to me when they find um, vending machines, you know, that, that, that might fit the description. And then I get in my car and I drive out to go investigate. What's, what's interesting is how you mm. use the light, not only of the vending machines, but the environment in consideration. So while Google Street View may give you a sense of the location, mm. you have to start thinking about what the light is going to be like when you photograph it. So tell me about the planning with respect to that. So yes, that's a very good point. Um, one just comes from the experience of a photographer um, in that I arrive at a location, I'm able to have a pretty accurate gauge of what the light will look like at sunset or in the evening in that, in that area. And the majority of the photographs are made either at sunset or in the twilight hour. So that's, that's where I concentrate my work. But the other thing that I am looking for is uh, street light. So I, in most of my photographs, I favor uh, making photographs where there is a, an available second light source, i.e. a street lamp. And the reason for that is if I adjust my exposure to just vending machine light and there's no other light source in the area, the whole rest of the picture is going to be dark. It's hard to expose for that and show the landscape. So if there's a street light, one, it acts like a spotlight for the vending machine itself, but it also provides light um, on the other things in, in the image and leads to a stronger photo. Um, your, the exposure challenge is, is, is a great one. And I'm, I don't know whether you were using film or using digital, but if you're using digital over the span of 10 years, technology can change. So if you're using digital, how did the technologies change help or, or change the way that you created the photographs? So the first five years of the project was shot um, all on film and black and white film. Um, and that was exclusively what I shot with. And since then, as the project has evolved, I've moved into digital. Um, there is a commonality across all of the images, um, which is that I keep my ISO at 100 for everything, whether it's film or digital. And so I use a tripod and I'm leaving the shutter open for often five, five, six minutes to, to make these exposures. Um, so that, that is one thing. I keep it at ISO 100 because I'm after the highest quality of image, that, um, for both for printmaking and bookmaking and things like that, but also just to be able to present it at the, at the best state that I can. Uh, as you touched on with respect to technology, yes, digital sensors have gotten better, larger, et cetera, et cetera. So now at this point, I, I find myself shooting with the um, 100 uh, megapixel, um, you know, medium format um, digital camera at this stage uh, in the project. Tell me about your beginnings of, as a photographer. How did you become interested in photography? 
So my photographic career spans about、uh, 30 years or so. But what inspired it, what started it, was that I love mountains. And so I was a mountain climber,、um, and that took me to places like Nepal and Tibet. And I began、um, photographing my、uh, treks up these mountains. But as I, was, as I was doing that, I came to realize that I was、uh, also very interested in the lives, the everyday lives of the people that I encountered there. And so I began to photograph them. And that project was completed、uh, in 2007. And then、um, the vending machines became my next、uh, major life project. I've received so many kind notes from people who have recently discovered the show. It's very satisfying to know that after 13 seasons, the show still provides such value to the thousands of people who download each episode every week. However, you may be surprised to know that we receive financial support from less than 3% of listeners. If we were able to increase that support to just 5% in the coming year, we could do so much more. And you can help make that happen by contributing as little as $5 a month to our Patreon effort. So please do it today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame and become a Patreon supporter today. Thanks. So, projects seem to be an important part of your photographic practice. Why do you feel like it's important to dedicate yourself to, to projects that can span over periods of times, in this case, years, rather than short projects? Ah, hi, hi, hi. So, one aspect of my long term projects, both the Nepal and Tibet work as well as the vending machines, is that they require a lot of research, a lot of time,、um, a lot of experimentation and failure with locations. So, one is that these projects are not something that can be completed in a short、uh, time span. So, I spend years,、um, whether it's 10 years or 20 years, pursuing. The completion of these projects. Nepal and Tibet is an expansive area where I had to travel around to make my photographs. Likewise, although Japan is a smaller area, I still have to travel all over the country to find vending machines to photograph. So that's one aspect. But in terms of choosing these types of projects, there is a personal thread to this.、Um, growing up in the north of Hokkaido, As I mentioned before, snowscapes, blizzards, snowstorms, I found those to be very beautiful and they left an impression on me as, as a child. And so my projects all, all centered around that、uh, going to Nepal and Tibet and photographing in the snow、um, and continuing on with photographing vending machines in the snow at night. I can't help but, I can't help but think that when you tell people that you're a photographer, that they ask you, well, what do you photograph? And then you say, vending machines, that your countrymen must think, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing that? There's so many other beautiful things to photograph. Tell me about that reaction to your work. 
あの<笑>みんな不思議な顔をしてます。Yes, you are right. The reactions are varied.、Um, but the, the, the standard response is what? Now I have a body of work that I can show people to uh, articulate, uh, you know, even on my smartphone to show people what I actually photograph and what they look like. But before that technology was available, when people asked and I said, vending machines, the re- universal response was, are you crazy? <laughs> you know,、um, but e- even now I still get people who look at me quizzically when I tell them that I photograph、uh, vending machines. It's, a, it's an interesting point because、mm-hmm. I, I think that photographers, when they decide to work on a project,、mm-hmm. sometimes lay people or even other photographers don't get it or don't understand it and aren't immediately supportive of it. And sometimes that can quash people's efforts to follow through on the project. Tell me about why you feel like you were able to disregard such comments and such reactions and pursue it to the lengths that you have. It's true that there, there, there was some、um, feedback like that that was、um, less than enthusiastic about what I was doing. However, I could fall back on my、um, initial inspiration and response, my reaction to snowscapes as a child. And knowing that this was more than just about vending machines itself, it was about the landscape. And I'm a landscape photographer through and through. And so I could stick to my core beliefs as a photographer. Um, even through the early days of negative feedback, because I knew I was onto something and it was something that was personal to me, so I, I could believe in the project all the way through until now. If I were photographing just vending machines, I think I would have failed or stopped this project a long time ago. It was because it is a landscape that contains, that has vending machines in them. That I think that I was able to keep this going、um, to make the project、um, what it is today. Yeah, it's the underlying idea, not just the subject matter, that's, in, that's important. You, you mentioned that this project started with black and white film, you segue to digital, which speaks to the technical approach that changed、uh, over the span of that time. But I'm wondering how you saw yourself evolve as a photographer. Over this, that span, that same span of time. My roots were as a black and white film photographer, and I think that even to this day, I still feel that that, that is who I am at, at my core.、Um, but where my work has evolved has been that I, I wanted to reach、um, a larger audience, a wider audience, and have more appeal、uh, across、um, different demographics. And I realized that as this project evolved, that the way to communicate my um, artistic uh, goals, um, the, the things that I saw, was to present this work in color, that it would reach a wider audience who could understand、um, the feeling that I was trying to convey if it was、um, photographed in color. But I think still to this day at my core, and I still go out and shoot with black and white film as well,、um, I think that is still where my passion is. The other aspect of that is, speaks to the idea of how refined your eye becomes, how you become more and more sensitive to nuance, small details that you might not have picked up on 10 years ago. Tell me about 
the actual practice of seeing and how's that and how that's evolved. あのテクニカルな部分ではやはり始めた頃よりまあいろんなあのえっ、ー、とフィードバック As far as the technical aspects, yes, I think I've refined my process more.、Um, you know, just in terms of the, the the aperture, the exposure, and all of that,、um, it's it's through repetitive、uh, process as well that I've、um, refined this. But I think a lot of it still was is dependent on my instincts about、uh, what will look. Um, appropriate for each scene. So it's not as if it's formulaic. I, I rely on my instincts as a photographer, and I think that that has become refined over time. How have you supported the, the creating the body of the work, not only financially, but in terms of finding the time? Because as you mentioned, you have to do a good amount of traveling, and it's not like you're just doing this 24 7. あのー、商用写真 so, I was also a commercial photographer.、Um, I was primarily photographing architecture,、um, real estate, things like that. So a new apartment building would be built and I would go and photograph that. And I would take all the funds that I made from、um, making commercial work and then applying that, using that to fund my personal project, which is this one.、Um, In recent years, in the last couple of years, I've gotten to the point now where I don't have to do the commercial work,、um, that I can actually、um, sustain my living and continue to make the project off of print sales. But that's just within the last two years. Up until that point, I, I had to do a lot of commercial work in order to um, um, support um, my project. There can, there can be a lot of emotional ups and downs when you're working on a project, especially that long. Where you might have moments of frustration or just because of logistical challenges or life challenges, it puts a lot of obstacles between you and, and fulfilling your work.、Uh, tell me about what other practices help you to get through such moments. I think the most important thing for, let's say, a photographer working、um, you know, today and trying to continue on with a long term project is you have to put the foundations of your life in place first. So you need to be able to find a way to sustain your living.、Um, In order to, for, for your project to continue,、um, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have a passion project and something that you want to do. But if you just go chasing after that without putting in the fundamentals of how you're going to support that project, funding wise or life wise,、um, it, it won't last. I can tell you that much. So I encourage people,、um, photographers who are working,、um, maybe perhaps starting out. On a long term project to look at how they can sustain their living first、um, while they、uh, continue to build on that project. So, whether, you know, in my example, I was a commercial photographer for a while,、um, now live, can live off of prints. Similarly, you have to find something that, that can help sustain your project、um, so that it can last for the longer term. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them. To recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So, who would that photographer be and why? Um, I would recommend、uh, people, your listeners, to, to take a look at Naoya Hatakeyama. 
uh, his work. Um, he was uh, a photographer who, in the 1970s, learned um, the new topographic style and um, an exhibition at the Eastman House and things like that. But among Japanese photographers, he was one of the first to photograph not just landscape or nature, but the intersection point between man and, and nature and the, and the landscape. So he was a major inspiration for my work, um, and I recommend um, that, that your listeners can check his work out as well. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for your time and for your amazing, amazing work. Oh, thank you. <laughs>、uh, it was a pleasure to meet you in person. Yeah. And,、uh, and George, thank you for, for translating. <laughs> no problem. Thanks to Eiji for sharing his time and story with us. Find out more about him and his work by visiting Sapporo Creation. Com. And again, thanks to George Nobechi of Nobechi Creative for his help. You can also support the show by writing a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And even better, if you really enjoy an episode, spread the word via an email to a friend, a post on your social networks, or word of mouth. It makes all the difference. So thank you for your support and being part of the TCF community. Thanks to Jay Caldry from the US and Phil Lubbox from Germany for their five star review. And check out our YouTube channel, where I offer comments on photography submitted by TCF listeners who contribute to the Candid Frame Flickr poll. Check out the TCF Flickr poll and our YouTube channel by clicking on the link in the show notes and the website. My most recent book, Making Photographs Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, is now available. You can purchase it today and receive 40% off the list price when you order it from the Rocky Nook website. Use the promo code PORELLO40 at checkout to take advantage of the discount. And receive three free copies of my previously published ebooks by signing up for the Candor Frame mailing list, where I share thoughts about life, photography, and keep you updated on TCF events. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or donating through PayPal. Thanks to Felix Dahm, Mark Goldbach, and Gary Dupree for their recent contributions. Now, not all episodes may be available on your podcast app of choice. So, to download, listen, and share any and all episodes of the Candid Frame, download the TCF app for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your help, it's free. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor. You can find her at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ivarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.